It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you here on a fabulous Thursday. And that means we're one day closer to getting you qualified for an opportunity to win a pair of SEC championship tickets by picking the correct seven winners and a mix of college and pro games. So looking forward to bringing you that tomorrow. But on today's show, it is jam-packed. Adrian Strickland, South Alabama Jaguars, right tackle. Yeah, one of the big uglies up front for the Jaguars joins us at 3.30, 4 o'clock. Lindsey Crosby, our Major League Baseball guru, he'll let us know whether the Braves are going to go ahead and pack things up when they leave Philadelphia and not have to worry about having a chance to play for a World Series. We'll talk to Krista Childress. She's a Coastal Alabama softball coach in Monroeville. And then at 5 o'clock, we have the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Drew DeArmon is going to join us along with Ansley Lee from AL.com to talk Auburn Tigers. So, Nick, a very busy day for us here on the final drive. That's right, man. A lot of great guests, a lot of great topics to cover, a lot of big games this weekend. I know we got a couple, you were saying, big audio clips. Nick Saban was pretty revealing today on Pat McAfee, right? Yeah, he, he was. But when you look at yesterday's press conference, Nick, we want to talk about nothing. And I've never heard Coach Saban talk about nothing that means something. But you just have to listen to the audio clip for yourself, how nothing means something to well, Nick Saban. Well, you know, look, Seinfeld was a show about nothing, and that's one of the best sitcoms of all time. So, look, maybe maybe he's on to something, but let's see. Okay, y'all ready for a lecture? Talk about the importance of nothing. You get up every day. You're entitled to nothing. Nobody owes you nothing. You could have talent, but if you don't have discipline and you don't execute, you don't focus, what do you get? Nothing. If you're complacent and not paying attention to detail, what does that get you? Nothing. So. Nothing is acceptable but your best. So we need to be, everything is determined by what you do and you trying to be your best so that you can build on positive performance so that, and that's, that's the only thing, there should be nothing else right, but that, you know, for everybody. Um, so that's what we have to stay focused on. That's what we need to do. Um, and, you know, we got rained out today, so we had to go inside. And um, we, need, we, we need to not accept 
anything but our best in terms of what we're doing in preparation. I get what he's trying to say. I get the point, but let's be honest. Nick Saban said a whole lot of nothing there. <laughs> nothing means something to Nick Saban if he's able to get his point across in regards to having to be giving. And, and a little bit when we hear from what he had to say, reflecting on his words that he gave at the podium, and you could hear his thumbs and his fingers going to, to patting on that lectern. He also had a lot to say about the best way, because I don't know if you're, you're are you an astrologist? Do you like astrology, Nick, at all? Um, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, I feel like anytime there's some type of special moon phase, like once every, you know, 20 years, the moon only looks like this. I, I always hear about it the day after. So I never so hear about it before. So if, if you look at what Nick Saban wanted to, to let everyone know, this, this coming Saturday, he kind of let everybody know. You mentioned you always miss it. Well, here it is, Nick. I want you to make sure that you don't miss this because if I need to, I'll follow up with what Coach Saban suggested on how to, to let his players know about what's going on this coming Saturday in regards to astrology. I know James Spann brought it to your attention last week, but with there being an eclipse during the game, do you prepare the team for that distraction? I think you have to prepare your team for every distraction. I actually think we should, the best way to do that would be text it to them so they can read it on their phone. All right, so, because sometimes they don't listen. All right, but if you text it to them, they'll read it. All right, so um, that might be a new technique that we try. You should text them what they're supposed to do on the field. They'll probably get it then. Preparing for that solar eclipse, Nick. Do, uh, I, do I need to text you I'm just during the say, game? That, that, I know that we asked some goofy questions at SEC Media Days. I know that he had to apologize to that kid <laughs> for asking about Milro, but that has got to be the stupidest question I've ever heard. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, Coach Saban, there's a solar eclipse on Saturday. Any concern about your team? What, are they going to just be staring at it during the game? That's I don't why, get it. That's why I asked you, did you like astrology, <laughs> Nick? And where, where are you studying that? Because maybe he has a couple of, of science majors on the roster that, that are going to be really entrenched in. That That's the worst one I've heard. I think that's the worst one I've heard. There's a solar eclipse. I mean, come on. Hey, Coach Saban, did you did you hear that you can see the Big Dipper uh, if you if you squint your eyes on Saturday, any worry about your – what are you talking about? Like, if there's any opportunity for Nick Saban to rip into a question, that should have been it. Like, what what the hell are you asking me here? He, he, he just went the route of, 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 look, you know, my players do pay more attention to what we have to say if you text it. Now, I, I bet you – I know Coach Saban's favorite channel is the Weather Channel. He, he That's why – him and, him and Span are, are, are good buddies. But but even with that being said, Nick, I, I did find the question pretty entertaining, but I, I found his answer even more entertaining because, you know, he, he just looked at you and I like I, I I I don't I don't I don't understand the question. I mean, and look in his answer, he didn't even say anything about an eclipse. He just was like, uh, text him. You know, kids in their phone. Like he started to go on like a you know a, a dad rant about how ki kids are on their phone too much. He didn't even address the eclipse. He did not, and that's part of what is 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 so interesting in in what he had to say. And going back to to saying nothing on yesterday, I know also 
he did talk about, and we did hear from Jalen Miro yesterday, and Jalen Miro was having an opportunity to talk to Roger Hoover on the Crimson Drive about what's allowing him to continue to grow as a quarterback and what gives him confidence because Jalen Milrow, like I said, his margin for error is is slim with a lot of people. But I think that having to learn the way he's had to learn, which is own job training basically, and whatever he did to get benched versus South Florida, I think that that really has helped him grow because as ugly as that South Florida win was, to not even be able to touch the field and be a part of helping, knowing that your team is struggling because of your own actions, I think that that is allowed Miro to become much more confident in himself and to believe in himself. And Miro chiming in yesterday with Roger Hoover. Well, I remember most about that experience was just another opportunity to play with my brothers. That was that was very key, you know, just to have an opportunity just to, play, you know, just to um, take a snap. You know, it's a blessing just to have a snap, but also would factor into anything with just how well Bryce Young was with me. You know, his communication um, with me during the game, um, the moment we had during the game was all key to anything, you know. And uh, with the great leader that Bryce is, he allowed it, you know, allowed me to play freely. He gave me some advice um, touching the field. Um, so, you know, I had a, a lot of support system around me during that game uh, for my first SC snap. And, uh, you know, I can't get everything to me. You know, it's all the guys around me that allowed me um, to thrive. Now, that's Milrow's comments on having a chance to play Arkansas a year ago and listening to what Bryce had to say and being kind of thrown into the fire. Now, when you know publicly that your head coach has your back, Nick Saban on Thursdays is always on Pat McAfee's show, and he had some very good confidence-boosting words for his starting quarterback in Jalen Milrow today. What have you seen out of him? that Because I want to let you know, the national narrative is becoming, yeah, Milrow Heisman conversation. Oh, yeah. you know, that is, and that was not the case a few weeks back. Do you hear that? And how appreciative are you of where Milrow is right now? Well, I think his confidence, uh, relationships, and understanding uh, with his coaches of exactly what he needs to do, you know, as a player has gone way up. And uh, I think that is what has helped his performance. I mean, the guy's a talented guy. He can throw the ball accurately down the field. He's a really good athlete. He can extend plays. He can make plays with his feet. So this progression that we we kind of needed for him to just play quarterback uh, has been really, really exponentially improving week by week. Uh, people thought we couldn't throw the ball, and he threw for over 300 yards last week, which we knew we were going to have to do against AM because of their front. And he did a good job of that. So continuing his development in all these areas, I think, is really, really important. And he's been great about it. He's had a great attitude about it. Um, I just had a meeting with him. You know, I always meet with him at 1130, you know, on Thursday and go through the week with him and go through the plan with him. And, you know, he, he's, he's well prepared uh, and very sort of appreciative of, you know, how he's 
developing the leadership with the other guys on the team. So all these things are real positives. Hell yeah, we love watching it. I'm enjoying going through this season with you guys. And remember, win by 45 this weekend, and we're all going to be disappointed. Uh -oh. Ladies and gentlemen, the head coach. <laughs> <laughs> <The> head... <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's your life, dude. You've earned it. You've earned it yep. with how great you've been. You, you go out there and, and you hear your head coach on a Thursday evening getting ready for his head coach show at Baumhauer's tonight in Tuscaloosa. Say such positive things about his growth. And, meant, you know, mind you, three weeks ago, sitting on the bench, watching your team and two other quarterbacks who people have been clamoring to get an opportunity to see and you can't do anything about it but be a positive and encouraging teammate, Nick. Well, look, Pat, Pat McAfee was saying there's, what, the talk was now Jalen Milrow for Heisman. I Look, we, we talk probably more Alabama football than any radio station TV network in America, and I have never heard those words uttered. I've never heard Milrow and Heisman in the same sentence together. Uh that was breaking news. That, I'm Mackey. like, okay, let's pump the brakes. Like, I know, you know, you're happy Nick Saban's on the show. You want to get on his good side. You want to kiss up to him. But I have not heard anyone say that. And look, Corey, you're, you know, you wear the crimson sunglasses every day. I haven't even heard you say that. No, I, I, I would definitely not go that far. I would be willing to put him on one of the most improved players yeah. for the Crimson Tide. But Heisman and Milrow. That just that doesn't go hand in hand right now here of this 2023 season. Now he can continue to be one of the best SEC quarterbacks in the in, in the conference. He can do that. He can he can separate himself away from Daniels at LSU. He can separate himself away from Beck at Georgia. He can separate himself away from South Carolina. And I, I just know when you look at what he's been able to accomplish and his growth, I think that that's important. But not as far as Heisman talk with him. No, I'm definitely not. I'm not ready to go that far yet for sure. Now, it helps that he's helping this team win and that he's continuing to grow. When you do look at his overall statistics, Nick, you're seeing a, a quarterback that has only – started maybe six games now in his career, in his total career. And you, you just don't see many players have as much pressure only starting six games as he's had because, once again, Bryce Young, when he was playing quarterback at Alabama, he didn't do so as a true freshman. He sat back there, he learned, he waited an entire year until it was his time. The same way Miro spoke on earlier about learning from Bryce Young. So as long as he's taken what he, he's been taught and applying it, I don't think any Alabama fan would want to see Miro on the bench because he does give Alabama its best chance to win. Right. And if you don't believe that, just go back and you look to a couple of weeks ago when Alabama was playing South Florida, and you did put in two other quarterbacks, regardless of what the weather was, you didn't have an opportunity to see anything out of Ty Simpson or Tyler Buckner that made you say, wow, I need to see much more of them again. That's right. No, I mean, 
And I think every Alabama fan, you know, they were all saying, get rid of Milrow. And then after that game, put Milrow back in, please, for the love of God. Um, but, yeah, Jalen Milrow gives Alabama the best chance to win. And, you know, I can't really even think of any quarterbacks. With all of Jalen Milrow's flaws, I think his strengths are what's needed with an Alabama team like this, you know, when you have kind of a off-and-on receiving core, when you have an off-and-on run game, when you have an un, an off-and-on pass block attack, you got to have a quarterback that can kind of make magic happen. And, you know, you take the picks, right? He's good for like a pick every game. You just take that. You, you expect it, but you know that he's going to do something special. He is going to do something special for the Crimson Tide, and he's going to try to to try to barbecue the Hogs for homecoming 2023 for Alabama, something that Alabama does not lose in homecoming games, has not done so under Nick Saban's watch. And, again, Nick Saban can't defeat himself because he was the last team to defeat Alabama back in 2001 for homecoming. So looking forward to seeing that game getting ready to start and looking forward to talking more NFL and college football as we do have both of those tonight. You look at the Chiefs in action tonight hosting the Broncos. We're probably going to have a lot more Taylor Swift thrown down our throats tonight, whether we like it or yeah, not. She'll be there. I already saw the report. Yeah, that's we already know what that deal is going to be tonight. And also the Braves on the brink of elimination. So we'll talk about that with Lindsey Crosby in the four o'clock hour. But coming back, we'll talk more NFL right after this. Hi, this is Blake Stein, former Spring Hill Badger and Kansas City Royal, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive, and look, we're talking about Nick Saban, Jalen Milrow. If you want to watch him in action on Saturday, you can come out to the Outsider downtown. Great drink specials. You can walk out of there with a WNSP t-shirt. I know Corey's going to be there watching the game for sure. You can enter for a chance to win an Alabama jersey courtesy of the vault. You can also enter their drawing to potentially win some Iron Bowl tickets. They got the food court, the insider right next door, all type of different options for you. So just come on out. If you're watching the Alabama-Arkansas game, watch it at the Outsider, downtown Mobile, off Cedar Street. Are you a fan of, of you know, tomorrow is Friday the 13th, Nick. So... With it being Friday the 13th, spooky. Deion Sanders is not a huge fan of the Colorado Buffaloes playing on a Friday night. It's only the second time in the history of Colorado football they're playing on Friday the 13th. And he's really he's really upset with the fact where they do that at. Who who stays up until 8 o'clock? What are they supposed to do in the hotel? And he, he said he's happy that they're getting out of the conference, the Pac-12, that is, and having an opportunity to go to a new conference to where they don't have to worry about playing those late-night games. I mean, look, if you're if you're D, what wait, what time is the game at? You said 8? Eight? 8. It's not that late, right? I mean, Auburn played, what, a 9 p.m. game yeah. in L.A. or California at least? Um I mean, look, Colorado, they're coming to the Big 12, right? Yep. Texas and Oklahoma are out. Who's who? What, what are the best teams left in the Big 12? 
with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. Do you look at the the is growth? Colorado going to be the powerhouse of the Big Twelve? Does everything run through Dion now? Start next year, it will. I, I will tell you this because he's just able to do what he wants to do in regards to finding guys four and five star. He told us, "Look, I'm bringing my own Louis Vuitton luggage," but he wants to have people that are coming in to enjoy the regular day, not at eight o'clock in. He's, he's happy about the move to the Big 12 and not happy about Pac-12 football. Although Pac-12 football at this point in time, you look at it where all the Heisman Trophy candidates are. We mentioned Mil- Milrow definitely for Bama is not one of those Heisman Trophy candidates. But you have Penix Jr., Washington, Caleb Williams, Uranian Heisman, and then Bo Nix. And then you throw in Shadur Sanders along with Washington State's Cameron Ward, there, there's there's tremendous talent. And DJ Ugalele, transferring from Clemson, just a lot of great quarterbacks that are, are being set down right now in the Pac-12. And Dion, he's not happy about that kickoff time. Uh, you know, what can you do? Sorry, Dion. Nothing he can do. Though. Hey, look, I'll watch on Friday night. It, well, I mean, you, you do have – to me, Friday nights are for high school football. That's yeah. that's what Friday nights are. Uh, I don't think Thursday nights, you, you, you don't have a, a lot of high school football games, even though we have three here locally tonight. Normally, Friday nights are, are high school football. I think that should stay sacred regardless. I, I don't like when I know that you, do, you can have college football every single night for the next – you know, 47, 48 days or some type of football. But to me, high school football on Friday nights is where it is. You shouldn't have NFL. You shouldn't have college football. You shouldn't have people having to make the choice of whether they want to go to a college game or yeah. a high school game. To me, Sundays and Mondays, you have NFL. Right. When they added Thursday, it was another addition. And you you, you take the straw poll of the players and coaches – not too fond of those. I mean, South Alabama playing on a Tuesday, the only show in town, and you see the show that Coastal Carolina and App State put on this past Tuesday night, which went down to the wire. It's great if you love football on a Tuesday night, and I'm glad to be able to watch college football on a Tuesday night. But Friday night, nah, man, that's high school football at its best. Yeah, I mean, they have been doing college games on Fridays for a minute now. I'm pretty sure Virginia has played two or three Friday night games already just this year, but I mean, you got South Alabama, you know, coming up on a Tuesday next week, so look, man, they're just throwing football any day of the week, just making sure you watch it. Just have to watch it. Now, am I complaining about it? No, I'm not complaining about it. I just don't like the fact that high school football is for Friday nights. Dion, he doesn't like it because the time, 8 o'clock. If it would have been earlier, he would have had no problem with it. He just he says it's past his prime time, bedtime. Hey, man, my guy likes to go to sleep early. Can't, <laughs> can't knock that. Well, I will say this. South Alabama, the only show in town Tuesday. We'll talk with their starting right tackle coming up next here on the final drive. Adrian Strickland joins us on WNSP 105.5. My name is David Palmer, and I'm on WNFC 105.5.
Welcome back to WNSP 105.5 at the final drive. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Thursday afternoon. Want to thank everyone for having us tuned and locked in. And it's a pleasure to be joined by our next guest here on the final drive, Adrian Strickland, a little 6'6", 332 offensive lineman for the South Alabama Jaguars. And you see I said little, folks. There's nothing little about number 70's frame in the red, white, and blue. He redshirted and then came in last year and was very productive in helping South Alabama set school records for offense and wins. And this past week was instrumental in helping the Jaguars get their first ever win at Louisiana Monroe. Strickland, how's it going, my brother? It's going good. It's going good. I'm living the life. You know what it is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I tell you, the life of an offensive lineman in the trenches and having the ability to block for people like Webb and then you get an opportunity to, to see Colin Lacey do his job. Talk about how fun it is to be an offensive lineman. You know, man, it's just something so, you know, natural about it. You know, you you wake up and you, you get to practice and you come and you do these practice things, you know, working day in, day out, trying to learn everything. And you get to the game day, it's just something so natural about just loving it and just loving going out there, seeing my, seeing my dogs play, you know, working with my teammates to try to make, you know, something big happen. Now, Adrian, you are from Panama City, Florida. And as we were talking a little earlier when you come out of high school out of Panama City, I know that there was a lot of interest and you had originally committed to Florida and had offers from schools like Maryland and Central Florida and Florida Atlantic. And was it the biomedical sciences of South Alabama that brought you to the Gulf Coast and to become a Jaguar? You know, there was a lot of reasons. I'll say that there was a lot of reasons that really, uh, you know, bought into me actually becoming a Jaguar. But uh, I think one of the other good reasons, I actually had a buddy from mine from the same high school, you know, a really good back, John Tank. He, he was here before. Um, you know, he really showed me what it was here, you know, and he told me, like, I knew I could trust him, you know. And uh, he talked to me about how they were here, family, you know, and that's the most important thing to me when I was looking for a college. And, you know, when you were looking for these colleges, you, you never know truly because, you know, I don't necessarily got any other – any of the friends, any of the contacts in these other colleges. So, you know, to have someone here telling me, like, these guys are going to treat you right, you're going to make something happen here. And, you know, having a, a fellow teammate that I looked up to when I was growing up, I mean, he was a he was a senior when I was going into my sophomore year. I was, you know, working my tail off trying to make it like him. And, you know, to hear from him that this school, you know, this school is the right one, that really made, made the choice for me. Well, I, I tell you, it's not every day that you do see – uh, a big-time lineman that, that really enjoys biomedical sciences. And you're not going to find a better school to study sciences at than the University of South Alabama. Let our listeners know what position it is that you do play for this big offensive line for the Jaguars. I play the right tackle. Right tackle is his position, folks. And when you do look at this past week's win, you guys were able to go ahead and have bukoodles of total yards, 589 to be exact, against Louisiana Monroe. And I know, talk about the mentality that you guys wanted to, to have, especially after the struggle loss that you guys suffered to James Madison the week prior. What was the biggest difference from an offensive lineman standpoint? You know, in the O-line room, we felt like, 
you know, we we, we talked about it over and over again, especially, you know, just from the, even from the start of the season, we talked about it. We talked about, you know, we want to be great. We want to be great. You know, last year wasn't enough. We want to do something different this year. And, you know, to be able to come out, you know, and start the way we did, we looked at it and we said, this, is, this, this ain't it. We got to change something. So, you know, the whole week, after JMU, we are like back against the wall. You know, we had to, we we're gonna fight. We ain't gonna, we ain't gonna give up. We ain't gonna lay here and give up. We gonna fight and we gonna come back to it. So you know, everybody, you know, everybody in the line room, especially, we're getting back, back at the practice. You know, getting extra reps, extra film, extra all that, because you know it takes extra to be extra. You want to get, you want to get something great. You gotta put in, you gotta put in the work for it. And I feel like the O line really did that. You know, this these last few weeks and this week included. Adrian Strickland, right tackle for the South Alabama Jaguars, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And I know when you do look, sometimes the offensive linemen do get overlooked in the success that the offense does have. And, and it's been one of those seasons to where you were starting and played in all 13 games at tackle for the Jaguars one year ago. And I know a year to year it's different teams and and when you do look at being on this year's team the biggest thing that coach Womack has really preached about is consistency because you guys go out and you absolutely maul Oklahoma State and then you come out and you jump out early on a Central Michigan and then you show spurts against James Madison and it's just a matter of continuing to put all four of those quarters together what what is you have your goals still in front of you. What is your biggest takeaway from what Coach Womack has been preaching so far at the halfway point of the season? You know, something that I feel like we did really good last year is, you know, exactly what Coach Womack, you know, what where he preaches, you know, consistency. I feel like we are very consistent. And I feel like maybe this year we weren't doing, we're not as consistent as we need to be. And, you know, there's always something you can work on. There's always stuff, you know, as a team we can work on. But I, I do believe that is like, that is the way you need to be consistent in everything we do. Cause when we're consistent, we're, we're unstoppable. We're an unstoppable force. And I feel like once we build that, that consistency, then, you know, there's only, only so much that can stop us, you know? When you do look at this big time matchup, Southern Miss only 90 miles away from Mobile, Alabama. So you do look at them coming into Hancock-Whitney Stadium last year in the bowl game and playing against Rice at your stadium, and now you're having an opportunity to go ahead and face them once again on a Tuesday night nonetheless. What is it about the difference that you feel in preparation leading up? Is there any difference from a practice or from a player or from a coaching standpoint that you guys feel that – is a Tuesday night kickoff and on a nationally televised game that would be different than a Saturday contest? Um, you know, we us having a bye week this week, it makes a little, you know, a little different practice schedule wise, but you know what? We do the same we're doing the same practices, we're working the same and that's what we're trying to that's what helps us try to build that consistency. If we're working the same way, not changing anything different. No matter if it's a Tuesday kickoff, Saturday kickoff, that's what's going to build that consistency. Living along the Gulf Coast, it's not like you're coming from up north. What, what's your favorite southern food being down here, whether it's in Mobile or whether it's back home in Florida as well? Ooh, southern food. Uh, I'm not going to lie. My grandma, I, I haven't had anything like it yet. I'm not going to lie to you, but my grandma makes a mean pot of greens, man. And it's, <laughs> it's hard. 
you know, it's hard to be grandma's cooking, but I'm telling you, that's something greens or something crazy to me. <laughs> hey, hey, so it, it's an old lineman's greens uh, that, that you love, and it's grandma's greens, and I know you like to provide a lot of green grass for those great running backs that you guys have, and even for Carter Bradley, who loves to, to see that green grass in front of you. But when you're blocking for people like LaDamian Webb or Bullock or Marco Lee or even Gio Lopez, who got into the game against Louisiana Monroe, how much fun is it when you do dominate the line of scrimmage, that one-on-one -on -one battle? Or do you like pass blocking better or run blocking? Or it doesn't matter as long as you're able to go ahead and get that pancake. To me, it don't matter what it is or which way you put it. If I'm making that pancake, I'm getting excited either way. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's something just so, like like I said earlier, man, it's just something so natural about it. You get it, you make that pancake block, you make that drive downfield, and you see Damien, Damien hit it off the backside or something crazy. You know, it's just so something in your heart that just sparks you and that keeps, especially me, going. Well, I know sometimes when Carter throws a touchdown pass, he'll he'll get leveled and he won't even be able to see it unless it's on replay. When you got a pancake going and you're not getting off of the defender who you're on top of, I know sometimes you're not able to tell what happens until the roar of the crowd. Has that ever happened to you to where you've been able to sustain and finish a block that long to where you don't know what happens until you hear the roar of the crowd? Oh yeah, oh yeah, especially in the long, you know, 60 60 play, you know, offensive play drives, you know, or games, you know, it's hard to be able to tell from time to time, you know, making them, you're driving working as hard as you can. It's hard to pick up when everything's going around you, but I definitely had a couple moments like those. Adrian Strickland, right tackle for the South Alabama Jaguars, our guest here on the final drives. He loves grandma's greens, and he loves making a lot of green grass for the South Alabama running backs and quarterbacks. Now, I do see that you, you love video games, and we've talked to a couple of the players here throughout the season that they, they love the Call of Duty. What is your favorite video game? Ooh, favorite video game. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm a nerd, man. I'm a nerd on the other side. I always have. My older brother, you know, always he, he got me into it and you know, I never got out of it. But if I had to say ooh, if I had to say my favorite, ooh. Uh I don't know if you ever heard of it, man, but Overwatch. It's called Overwatch. I'm telling you right now, the thing is that thing is different. And boys are sweaty in there. <laughs> I, I, I like that. And and are you a PS five guy or or, or, or Xbox? What, what's your console choice? Oh, I'm a computer guy. I'm, I'm the advanced nerd. I, 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 I love it. I got a computer. I got the whole setup, man. I love it with, with, with the with the headphones and everything going now. Oh yeah. I, in talking, you you are that biomedical sciences major, and I know that because of that, you just mentioned that you do love the the technology aspects of the video games that you like to play. I, I know that. You know, you like to blast off from the line of scrimmage. But I understand that you also would love to have an opportunity to work with NASA in the future. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's been my dream for quite some time now. I even got it. You know, I got a, a big de a tattoo on my arm, you know, dedicated to it. You know, I have that to, you know, remember the dream. And I've always wanted to since I was young, young, young. And, you know, that's what I've. I like to do biomedical sciences for. I'm very interested in research and all that. And I find that, you know, I find that actually like mind boggling and I love to learn about stuff like that. 
Nothing wrong with that. Adrian Strickland, 6'6", 332, red shirt, sophomore, red right tackle, offensive lineman for the South Alabama Jaguars, joining us here on the final drive. We, we just want to make sure Jays are up on Tuesday night and you guys continue to take care of business because your goals are still in front of you of winning that Sunbelt Conference championship, something that would be historic for certain. And we want to see you continue to reach all your personal goals, whether it's working at NASA or and also your team goals of winning that Sunbelt Conference championship as well. Adrian Strickland, can't thank you enough, my friend, for taking time to join us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Adrian Strickland, starting right tackle for the South Alabama Jaguars, joining us here this afternoon on WNSP 105.5. And look, anytime you can come in and play as a freshman and help South Alabama to historic yardage, and historic second-leading 1,000-yard rusher in school history, you know you're doing something right. They continue to keep that consistency. South Alabama will have an opportunity to make history and be a Sunbelt Conference champion, and it's going to start up front with people like Adrian Strickland. Can't thank him enough. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. DJ Mosley, inside linebacker, and you listen to the sports station, WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. It's a Thursday edition, and coming up next in our 4 o'clock hour segment, we'll have you covered from a Major League Baseball standpoint. Of course, the Atlanta Braves last night, or yesterday afternoon got rocked 10-2, and Bryce Harper really handled his business. We'll dig into tonight's possibly series-ending game for the Atlanta Braves. And you look at the Diamondbacks punching their ticket on to a division championship matchup awaiting the winner out of Philadelphia and Atlanta. So congratulations to them. And we have everything bigger in Texas, the Rangers have found a way to play the Astros there in the American League, so looking forward to that. And today, the SEC announced its 2023 SEC football legends okay. class. Every team had a legend that was nominated and will be honored at the SEC championship game. For Alabama, Andre Smith. Played from 06 to 08. Mr. Football in the state of Alabama out of the Birmingham area, Huffman High School. Just a dominant high school offensive lineman, dominant lineman at Alabama and found a way to keep his way in the NFL for quite some time. And for Arkansas, Dick Bumpus, defensive tackle, 68 through 70. For Auburn, offensive lineman Ed King from 1988 to 1990. Florida Gators fans will know this name, Shane Matthews, quarterback from 90 to 92. And for Georgia, no Sean Marino, 
Okay. You remember that name, yep. Noshawn Marino, running back, 0708? So w- 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 what is the qualification to be the legend? Because, you know, you said Florida quarterback, and I'm like, oh, well, that's easy. It's obviously Tim Tebow. Well, every year a school selects an SEC legend. Oh, so this is, okay. Y- yes. You, so every diff- you'll have a different. Someone different. Yeah, right. well, someone different every single year. And Kentucky has Wesley Woodyard, a linebacker from 04 to 07, LSU, James Britt. Defensive back from 79 to 82. So sometimes you have to wait a while and pay your dues, and you will be honored by the school. Ole Miss nominates Patrick Willis, a linebacker from 03 to 06. Tremendous NFL career also. Mississippi State, Reggie Kelly played tight end, 95 through 98. Missouri, Chase Kaufman, tight end from 05 to 08. South Carolina, Marcus Lattimore. Yeah. Tremendous running back. 2010 through 2012, Tennessee, and Joey Kent, wide receiver from 92 to 96, one of Peyton Manning's targets there while he was a volunteer. Texas A&M has Ray Childress, a defensive lineman from 81 to 84, and Vanderbilt has Jamie Winborn, linebacker from 98 to 2000. So, so this that, is a thing they do every every year. Every year okay. they they honor a legends class and you do look at you know your past legends i know good friend of mine bobby humphrey has been recognized as an alabama former sec legend so you know you you just you you don't get left out if you're one of those greats but you just have that one every year that they go ahead and they select for this Mm -hmm. and they do it for the sec championship game they'll have a nice dinner and banquet for them and then they'll be acknowledged at the game as well on the field. So it's great to see, especially when you look back and you have to dip back to some of these players. You look going back here, 81 through 84. That's some quite some time ago. And Dick Bumpus for Arkansas, 68 to 70. And you look them back and, and you're being honored from your 1968 through your 1970 tenure if you're an Arkansas Razorback. It's always great not to be forgot about. And that while some of these players are still living and are able to get out and about, it's always good to give them their flowers. And, and that part of it I do like. And I do like the fact that the SEC does acknowledge those difference makers within their teams. And to select one from every team sometimes is hard to do, but that's exactly what is there this like SEC a Legends is time about. frame. It has to be, you know, they have to have left – you know, for a while, like I, I'm assuming Bryce Young hasn't done it yet, right? Right, right, correct. Now, he, but would it, would it have to be like, oh, we'll do Bryce Young in 10 years, or could Bryce Young be the guy well, when you look at year? when you look at the most recent one here, out of all the teams that are selected here, the, the most recent one would be Marcus Lattimore. 2012 yeah. is the most recent. So you are looking at almost a 10-year time frame there, for okay. him and I'm not going to say that there is a, a decade that you have to be separated from a team before you are acknowledged but that in this 2023 class you are looking at having left school and that university some 11 years ago so pulling in and happy for all the SEC legends that are being named here in the 2023 football legends class plenty of names there that were very, very productive, not only in college, but in the NFL as well. Four o'clock. 
Coming up, Lindsey Crosby breaking down Major League Baseball. Will the Atlanta Braves be eliminated today? We'll talk to him about that and what it's going to take for them to get over that hump. Next on the final drive. The Sound of Mobile presents For the win! The Final Drive No, they didn't. Oh my gracious yeah. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins For the win! Yes! Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app Oh, oh, unbelievable Welcome to hour number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Thursday edition of the final drive. Thanks, everybody, for having us locked and tuned in. And if you haven't downloaded the Sound of Mobile app, you can do so to any Android or Apple device that you may have free of charge. And we'd love to correspond with you on the app. And Monday night, Major League Baseball, you look at the NLDS, the Braves are down to the Phillies early. And you turn around and you're like, man, Atlanta's going to be in trouble here. They're going to go down two games to none. And then one of the best comeback wins and postseason history, double plays that you has never been seen in postseason play occurs. And Atlanta closes out Philadelphia and ties it up at one game apiece. And I equated that to probably the best Atlanta Braves postseason win since Sid Bream came sliding into home plate to send the Braves to the World Series. And now, last night, the Braves absolutely get rocked by Philadelphia 10-2. to And then you have a little Arcia and Harper stare down going on, a little things that are supposed to be kept quiet and stay in the clubhouse, don't stay in the clubhouse. And to explain to us what's going on with the Atlanta Braves is our baseball guru, Lindsey Crosby, joins us here on the final drive. Lindsey, how's it going, my friend? Hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm hanging in uh, on an edge here waiting <laughs> for the, the Atlanta Braves to not get sent home tonight. Well, you know, Lindsey, when you go back to that tr- dramatic win that they had on Monday night, that historic win. You look Mm -hmm. at what the Braves have been able to accomplish from an offensive standpoint. You knew when they went down 1-0 to in game number one that they were going to be fighting an uphill battle, and then they were looking like they were about to go down 2-0 to and go to Philadelphia and come immediately back to Atlanta very quickly, and then how quickly the bats come alive, that they have been hot all season long, they get hot again, and the Braves come back and, and win this game, game number two, that is. And last night, they up one to zero, and then all of a sudden, Harper, he takes control, and he takes it personal, and, he, you know, he says, yeah, any edge that you give me, I'm going to take. So what's the beef that's going on between Arcia and Harper? Is there really a valid beef, or is it just because he stared him down, and it's iconic photo when he's walking those bases? <laughs> It, it really feels like something where Bryce Harper understands what a lot of the great competitors have understood, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, that you look for anything you can find to give you an edge. 
Uh, for the, those of you who aren't familiar with the comment, after the Game 2 victory in Atlanta, where Atlanta turns, like you mentioned, the only 8-5-3 double play in postseason history for MLB, uh, it was all because Bryce Harper, who was on first base when the ball was hit, rounded second instead of stopping at second because in his calculus, and he was correct, by the way, in his calculus, if this ball drops, and I stop at second, I'm not going to be able to score. And if I don't score, we could lose this game. So he's halfway between second and third when the ball is caught and has to turn around and get back, and he obviously doesn't get back and they double him off. Orlando Arcia was in the clubhouse after the game uh, saying, boy, Harper, and, and, and laughing about it, about the base running, what they called a mistake. And that got out and got back to Harper. And... The Braves players were more upset that it left the clubhouse than they were about how Philly reacted to it. I think Bryce Harper did the right thing. You find anything you can think of to get an edge, to, to, to turn on that killer instinct and to get you a win. And he had one of the best postseason performances of all time last night. He was absolutely electric. The question is, can Atlanta find their offense, which they have not had in this postseason? They're batting 196 in this series. Can they find this offense? to not get eliminated tonight. I don't know. And it's been one of those games to where across the board, as far as postseason play, now really all eyes of Major League Baseball are on the Atlanta Braves. And, and it's been one of those historic seasons to where when you look at the number of wins that the Atlanta Braves now have, 104 wins, and you look at the other franchises across the Major Leagues who are eliminated with, a lot of wins, especially the Dodgers, that is. How, how devastating would it be for the Atlanta Braves and that franchise for them to come up empty and at least not make an appearance in the championship series? We put up a story just a few minutes ago at BravesToday.com that says if the Atlanta Braves don't win tonight, no one's going to remember how great your regular season was. It's something where, and we've seen, this is the second straight year under this new format, we've seen so many of the top teams, the 100-plus win teams, get eliminated early. We saw the Rays out. We've seen the Orioles out. You mentioned the Dodgers. And if the Braves are another team in that group, I think it might push MLB to adjust the format a bit where these teams don't sit at home for a week when they earn the bye. But at the same time, Atlanta, if Atlanta doesn't win, no one's going to care that you tied the single-season home run record or that you were the only team in baseball history to finish with a 501 slugging percentage as a team. They're not going to remember any of that stuff. We'll remember Ronald Acuna Jr.'s MVP. It was historic. We'll remember Matt Olson's home run record for the team. That was historic. But this season will be seen as a failure if you can't get out of uh, the, the NLDS and at least make it to the championship series. And this is the only game on the night. Every other, everything else is decided. This is it. Every, all eyes are on Atlanta. And let's hope that they can do it because, again, they, they're 19-97 in this series. They've scored seven runs. The best offense in one of the best offenses of baseball history has scored seven runs in three games, and that's just not going to cut it. Spencer Strider scheduled to take the mound tonight for the Atlanta Braves and how important is it for him to go ahead and get some of that early run support to give the Braves a little bit of confidence because again I know it was early yesterday when it was one to zero and at one to zero I was like okay I think that that's good momentum and then Harper 
rips their hearts out there in the third with that three-run shot. So is Atlanta, do you feel they're going to be playing timid tonight, or will they just go ahead and, and let it all go? Uh, they, they have to let it all go. This is one of the only like, – last night was the only game where the team that scored first didn't win in this NLDS or last year's NLDS. And Spencer Strider has been very, very good against the Philadelphia Phillies in his career uh, to the fact of that start on Saturday, on game one, that was the first time he had faced them since last postseason and not gotten a win. He had gotten a win in all eight of his regular season appearances against them. But it's all on the offense now. Spencer Strider is going to do well. He did well last time. He's done well against them every single time except for last year in the NLDS. But it all comes down to can the offense get on base? Can Ronald Acuna Jr., he scored three runs. He's two for ten in this postseason. Uh, Matt Olson is three for 12. He's done something. But Marcelo Zuna, two for ten. Eddie Rosario, one for six. It's it's Atlanta's not getting offensive contributions from the guys that have carried them all year. And nobody is really doing well enough to carry this team right now. And Atlanta needs somebody, anybody to step up uh, against what is probably the hottest team in baseball with a lineup that is hitting top to bottom in the Phillies. And I'm honestly a little bit not sure if it's going to happen, which is, uh, I'm afraid to say that. And I think it's just meeting the team at the right place at the right time, because Coming mm -hmm. in, you know that the Phillies were, were playing great baseball. They were hungry. The Braves had that first round by. The Philly is that team that you probably did not want to see before any games were ever even played. When we were at 0-0, zero to zero, before the first pitch was thrown, if you had to pick a team that the Braves didn't want to see, it wasn't the Dodgers. It wasn't the Arizona Diamondbacks. It was the Philadelphia Phillies, and now they've to prove to have been that nemesis. Now, I will say this. Now, you went tonight as an Atlanta Braves fan, as an Atlanta Braves player. All eyes become on you once again on Saturday to where you'll finish up that series in a fifth and deciding game. Would it suck more as an Atlanta Braves fan to go ahead and lose tonight or to lose at home in front of your own home crowd on Saturday? I think it's worse if you lose tonight because if you lose – on Saturday, at least that means you pushed Philadelphia to the brink as well, and you got a chance to come back and 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 sh and play for a chance to advance. Atlanta right now is playing to not go home. They're not playing for the chance to advance, and I think it's worse for you to drop three out of four and never even make it back to to Atlanta than it is to come home and play a close matchup on Saturday and lose. And that's been. The issue here, right, is so many of these teams in the postseason have not made it even competitive. We've seen a bunch of sweeps. We've seen a bunch of, you know, 3-0 or 3-1 victories. Atlanta's the only team with the chance to push it to a maximum five games. And like you said, you would have rather faced anybody else than Philadelphia. They're set up to beat Atlanta because they, throw, they have very good velocity all up and down the, the pitching staff. They're good at executing fastballs up in the zone, and they're good at hitting home runs. And that's the ingredients you need to beat the Atlanta Braves. And Philly is just – this team has been constructed to play October baseball and to beat the Atlanta Braves. And you've got one more chance to show that they can't do it. 
Now, when you do look at now everything's supposed to be bigger in Texas, and it exactly is, you look at the Rangers and the Astros having an opportunity to square off with identical records, 90 and 72. Both of them will get started Sunday night. Are you at all surprised? I know I am to see both, not necessarily the Astros, but Texas and Houston was not the matchup that I went ahead and rubbed my crystal ball and was able to see in the ALCS. I can confidently say that I actually did predict Texas and Houston, and it's something because Texas's offense has been so good and their pitching staff is finally getting healthy. They should, they should be getting Max Scherzer back. And so they have a pitching staff that is similar to Phillies and what we thought Atlantis was going to be before the Charlie Morton injury, where you've got three guys, three or four guys, that you can count on to go out and give you a quality start every night, and then you've got high-octane relievers out of the bullpen to combine with a really good offense. I'm really excited to watch how the Texas pitchers take on Jordan Alvarez because Jordan Alvarez is probably the scariest hitter in baseball, especially in the postseason. Nobody wants to deal with Jordan Alvarez. Nobody's figured out how to stop him since the 2021 World Series when Atlanta held him to two hits. And so Texas Houston, the media, the ESPN and all of them are probably not thrilled about it because it's not an East Coast thing or a West Coast thing, but it's going to be amazing baseball. That series is probably going to go the distance and I'm going to go on a limb and predict Texas, but that could go either way. And credit to the Astros for making seven straight championship series in, in seven years. It's, it's the second longest streak in baseball history. Now, when you do look at the Dodgers being on the wrong side of history in the National League, going bye-bye and being swept for the first time, and you look over these last three seasons, the Dodgers have had 317 regular season wins and have no World Series appearances. That's just tough to do when you look at the, the how long baseball is, how many games they play, and to say I've won 317 games and not played for a World Championship, that's just mind-boggling. And the World Championship they did play for was in 2020 with an abbreviated season that was completely different from what this is. It all, for the Dodgers, it's all come back to pitching, right? They've, they've struggled as far as having competent pitching. Uh, and, and just It's been a ton of different issues. This year, it was something where Julio Urias gets suspended, and there's a, a bunch of injuries to different guys, and it's, it's completely different from what you expected to happen this year. But I feel like the Dodgers maybe outperformed a little bit simply because how good Freddie Freeman was and how good Mookie Betts was. And I think it, it covered up a lot of deficiencies on this roster. And you saw in this series against the Diamondbacks, when Freeman and Betts weren't hitting that well, which they didn't in the NLDS, you all of a sudden saw this roster get a little bit exposed. And then they got a grand total from their starting pitching. I want to say they got uh, something like 15 outs combined from all of their starting pitchers in this game simply because uh, of injuries, of ineffectiveness, and that's ultimately why they lost. Yes, the, the offense didn't show up, but the starting pitching is why they lost. And uh, I don't really know how the Dodgers fix it other than throw more money at it. And unfortunately for all of us, they have the money to do that. We'll see what happens moving forward with this Dodger organization. I know it's a tremendous letdown, and like you said, it would be everything. You, you can't 
write it out as anything but a failure if the Atlanta mm-hmm. Braves aren't able to win tonight and someone in our app says Austin Riley can be that guy to carry the team. And you sure hope so tonight that all the Atlanta Braves are able to carry all the weight of elimination on their backs and they do what they need to do to stay alive. And, Lindsay, I, I know that Philly's hot, but I am hoping that Atlanta can find a way to get it done and we see some more tomahawk chops coming back to the ATL and, and having Atlanta to, to continue this historic run of offensive firepower that we've seen throughout the season. And if people want to see all the offensive firepower you have in your fingers <laughs> and see the great work that you do not only for minor league baseball but covering the Braves today and Auburn Daily and Locked on Farm minor league baseball, how can they do that? I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, and like you said, it's the hub for everything, whether it's the Major League Baseball at BranchToday.com, whether it's the Minor League Baseball at Locked on MLB Prospects, or it's the uh, College Baseball at Auburn Daily. Can't thank you enough, Lindsay. Keep your fingers crossed tonight, and anything, any superstitions that you have, you go ahead and warm them up now, man, <laughs> because the Braves fans are going to need it. We absolutely are. Thanks, Corey. Lindsey Crosby joining us this afternoon on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Phil Steele, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Back to the final drive, and... Look, everyone knows how big of an Atlanta fan I am. <laughs> everyone knows how big of a Dion believer I am. Well, look, earlier today, Dion was chatting with an Atlanta Falcon scout, and he had some pretty interesting comments. I think it's like it's like they knew what I wanted to hear, but I'll, I'll just let <laughs> you guys hear it. Tell him what I told him. Tell him what I told him. Hey, we gonna get we gonna get no, the no, Sanders. No, no, tell him boys. exactly what I told you. Hey, we ain't coming back unless we bringing the Sanders boys to the hey, both of them. That's all I'm saying. Hey, hey, how y'all feel about that? Hey, how y'all feel about that? Okay, definitely be good for. I like that, Dion. That's how I feel about that. Can you imagine Shadur Sanders as the new quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons? Shiloh out there. You know, come off the bench, add some depth to the defense. Dion sound like LeVar Ball. Hey. LeVar Ball, he predicted, and he said where his sons were going to be and who they were going to play for. Man, if Dion has that much pull to get both his sons. He's got more pull than LeVar. Right? Dion played in the NFL. He's a big-time college coach. LeVar was just a person. All right, so let me ask you this. I love LeVar Ball. Like, that's an unpopular opinion. I love LeVar. But, but Dion, when he says you got to have two for one, you got to have both gotta of get them. Both. If, you're not getting, if you don't, you're not getting them both, they're not coming back to the ATL. So, in order to get even one of them. You draft Shadur and then you sign Shiloh as an undrafted free agent. That's how you do it. Okay. So the same thing Charlotte did. They what, had drafted LiAngelo and they signed. Uh, I mean, drafted Lamelo and signed LiAngelo. But what are you willing to give up to to get Shadur Sanders? Where is he projected to be picked at? I, Dion two weeks ago was saying that they they weren't leaving Colorado. They were going to have wait. to stay. 
I'll wait then. Yeah, I can't mean, stay there forever. The, the Falcons aren't going anywhere. The fact that he can have his sons being national champions at Colorado, that's ultimately what he wants to build. And the the Falcons, I don't think they're going to tank for Shadur no. or Shallow, what right? Is, 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 I mean, Shadur Sanders, he's a top. I don't know. I mean, I think everyone definitely I, I values. I think he's a first or second round talent. Look, Atlanta, they got a first round pick. We take him with like the. 20th pick, 18th pick, whatever pick we end up with. Because, you know, it's going to be Caleb Williams and Drake May are going to, you know, be those top 10 picks, those top quarterbacks that people want. But So when you do look at the quarterback situation, you've already given up on Ritter. You're, 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 you're done with Ritter. He, he's not going to – He had a good future. game. He, had his, he threw for 300 yards. He didn't throw a pick. He rushed for a touchdown. He threw for a touchdown. Got Kyle Pitts eight catches. It was his best game by far, but Desmond Ritter – I mean, everything we were saying about Dak Prescott, how he's just not a guy who can mm -hmm. just make magic happen. Mm -hmm. He's got to have everything around him. Desmond Ritter is a poor man's version of Dak Prescott. And, you know, if you're saying Dak Prescott can't get it done, then you know the lesser version of him definitely can't get it done. He's serviceable. He's going to be a fine backup quarterback. He'll be a fine journeyman quarterback, you know, to start in random spots. But he's just not the guy. Like, we got the guy at running back. We got the guy at tight end. We have the guy at safety. We have the guy at wide receiver. We got a nice offensive line. Now we just need the guy to orchestrate the whole thing. And Desmond's not that. You don't think Desmond Ritter is the future? I, I no. mean, listen, I, I'm I'm not a Falcons fan, but I don't think you give up on Desmond not, Ritter. I, I mean, he, he puts zip on the ball. He can make some hard throws, but... Up to this point, and yes, I've only watched him play, what, seven games dating back to last year, but he just doesn't – he's not a star. He's not a superstar. And I'll, Shadur, he's a star. <laughs> Shadur is that guy. But if Dion gets what he wants out of that, I would be absolutely blown away if they walk away from Colorado and their opportunity to win a national championship. And I know we do have – a special caller on the line. Caller, good afternoon, and welcome to the final drive. What's up, Corey? <laughs> uh, yeah, just, just driving home from work and listening to Nick spew a bunch of nonsense about Desmond Ritter. I couldn't help myself. Absolutely love it. What's Fire away. Look, if we're if we're going to argue that Desmond Ritter's good, like I'm not even necessarily opposed to that. Like I'd love you to sell me on that. Well, you even said yourself the guy's played seven games. Uh, you're going to give up on seven. And what's his record in those seven games as a starter with a bad team around him? What's his record as a starter? Uh, I know he's undefeated at home. There you go. Okay. So he's got a, he's got a, a, a team that's not even that talented around him at three and two right now. And seven games in, you're already saying he's a less, lesser death Dak Prescott? Seven games into his career? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely not a – better Dak Prescott seven games in, into his career, right? Do you know that, do you know what Troy Aikman's record was his first year as a starter? I, I know that it was horrible. It was one in 15. Do you know how many interceptions Peyton Manning threw his rookie year? I, I Didn't he break a record? 27. Well. So it's a little too early to be writing off Desmond Ritter that he's not the quarterback in Atlanta. Hey, look, look, I want Ritter to work. And I, and I was I like the way that he played last week. So, look, maybe the skies are 
you know, looking good and, and things are going to keep getting better and he'll keep getting better like he did this past week. But look, I'm a, I'm, I'm a lover of the Sanders family, right? I'm a believer. Can you imagine the jersey sales <laughs> if Shadur Sanders was flexing the watch in Mercedes-Benz Stadium? Can you imagine the empty seats if he doesn't win games? <laughs> <laughs> listen now, listen, listen. I've seen Shadur Sanders tape. I've seen Desmond Ritter's college tape. Desmond Ritter right now had better college tape than anything Shadur's put on tape this year. So he, everyone's anointing him as the next franchise quarterback. We all got to slow our roll on Shadur Sanders. I'm not sold on Shadur Sanders. I would like to see him go back to Colorado, win, have an opportunity to get into that 12-team college football playoff next year. And if if Dion brings the goods the way that Dion wants to bring the goods, at least he'll have an opportunity to play for a national championship at Colorado. And that father-son dynamic then you, you, you can create a little bit more clout. I mean, what, what's a higher likelihood? Shadur Sanders plays in a national championship or that uh, Desmond Ritter is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott? Um, wow, that's a weird scenario. Yeah, I would say Desmond Ritter becomes a better quarterback than, than Dak Prescott. All right. Well, I, hey. I, as, much, as much as I'm a big fan of Dion, I don't think he's winning a national title next year. Yeah. Well, hey, look, man. I'll I, I love your optimism, and I'm I'm going to take a piece of that, man, because, look, I'm dirty birds all the way. If Desmond can do what he needs to do, I'll ride with it. Thank you and so I'm much. Not saying he, I'm not saying he is going to be a franchise guy. I'm yeah. just saying seven games is way too small of a sample size to be already be clamoring for your next quarterback draft pick. Hey, yeah, look. I'll give him seven more, all right? <laughs> Nick's one of those impatient fans. I he's am. One of, I'm he's, ready. He, he, hey, he has, he's got that microwave generation right now. Look, I'm just saying right now. this Atlanta Falcons team, Corey. if there was a quarterback that – and look, obviously Sanders is young, but, like, if we had a really good, competent vet quarterback <laughs> with history – like, if Kirk Cousins was the quarterback of the Falcons right now, man, we might go 17-0. You think your team's that good right now outside of the quarterback? We already got one of the three best running backs in the NFL in Bijan. Well, you obviously didn't feel good enough about your receiver core that you went out and traded for Van Jefferson this week. And listen, Nick, if you were, if you were in Philly two years ago, you would have been part of that Philly fan base that wanted them to draft a quarterback after Jalen's rookie year. You wouldn't have given Jalen that second year and then you wouldn't have seen Jalen Hurts become a runner-up for MVP. Hey, look, I was you would have been you would you, you would have been part of that Eagles fan base, and there was a lot of them. I've always been a, a big Carson Wentz guy. I like Carson Wentz. Jalen after year one and not give him that second year. Man, hey, look, if Ritter can be Jalen Hurts, man, shoot, I, I love I, it. I, I'll send you something to yeah. your house, man. Flowers, whatever you want. <laughs> Absolutely love it. I'm not looking. Looking for anything? I'm just saying you got to give these young guys time now. Yeah, you do. I mean, you're this, right, that's you're a, right. Like that 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 position is so freaking hard to play at that level. Um, like it's not going to start slowing down for Desmond for a long time. Like it's still going fast for him. Um, like so to judge these guys the way that they're being judged, it's just it's just unfair. Um, you know, back in the day they used to have two or three years to sit, just like Mahomes did. But they don't have that time now. Um, so I'm saying just be patient. Just be patient. Right. I understand the, 
the passion for your Falcons, but man, this dude's like not out there, not out there getting killed. They're winning no, games. Right. They're right. figuring out a way to win games. And I'll say this, the reason I like Desmond Ritter so much coming out of Cincinnati is I like quarterbacks that raise the people around them. He took a group of five team to the college football playoff in a Cincinnati program that was really kind of a middling, you know, group of five program for a long time. So um, I'd still be optimistic, man. I, I still think there's, I'm not saying Desmond's going to be a franchise guy. I just say in seven game sample is, especially when he's winning games is way too early to be pulling the plug and calling for Shadur Sanders, who his sample size isn't big enough to jump on that bandwagon either. I mean, this guy's only played like six college games, six, you know, six well, games at the FBS look, level. About- and we're already putting it. We're already making him a top ten pick. We got to slow our roll there. How about this? Shadur comes back, right? He comes back. And he plays at Colorado again next year. So we're gonna give Desmond the rest of this year and next year, and then maybe we can make the call if Desmond is the guy or if Shadur is not. Because I'll agree. Absolutely. Look, I, I want Atlanta that, to be successful. By the end of year. By the end of year two in the NFL, you should know where your quarterback's yeah. going. Because, see, I want Atlanta to be successful. And, like, if Shadur were to be our quarterback, like, it's not like he'd be better than Desmond Ritter, right? Um, I'm just ready to win. And I and I need Des, I need to know now if Desmond is that guy or not. I don't know why we rode with Mariota for so long last year. Well, again, that's just your that's your generation, Nick. You guys want you guys want instant gratification. That's not that's not what it's always about. Um, but we'll see we'll see what Shadour. I'm I'm in the boat. Like I want I want to like Shadour too, and I'm a big Dion fan. But but again, too too small a sample sizes in both in both directions to uh, to make these calls right now. But I hear you're passionate. You're like me. I'm a Lions fan, man. I've been waiting for my whole lifetime for the Lions to be good. So yeah, man. Um, hey, you, hey, you get, got it this the, year though, right? Passion. You got it this year though. Y'all looking good. Absolutely. Yeah, love it. Time. Love it. Love it. Love, love the passionate fan bases, whether it's from a Miami Dolphins fan like I am and seeing the success that Tua stick around with Tua. People want to get rid of Tua too. And, and look, his was in the mind. It wasn't even his throwing ability. It's, he's taking too many hits. So here it is. We stick around with Tua and look where the Dolphins are. I, I like Desmond Ritter. Like I said, I'm not a Falcons guy, but I do believe he can he can get things done. And I can't thank you enough for taking time to call this afternoon and, and, and let us in on the insight on, on why Nick should not give up on Desmond Ritter. <laughs> no, I lo- love talking to you guys, man. Nick, I'm just I'm just giving you a hard time. I know, I know. I'm I'm gonna hang in there, man. I'm gonna hang in there. Jim- <laughs> All right, guys, have a have a good weekend. Do the same. Do the same. Jim Nagy calling in this That's afternoon. And, and, and Nick, did it did it take a second for you to figure out <laughs> who you it. were talking to? Well, immediately when someone started defending Desmond Ritter, I was like, <laughs> "This is different <laughs> than the normal call I get." I was like, "Okay." Love it. Because, look, I I like Ritter. <laughs> I just need him to be – I need him to do what he did this past Sunday every week. And then when he said he was a Lions fan, I was like, all right, this guy isn't related to Desmond Ritter. I think it actually <laughs> is, Jim. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Great segment right there of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Krista Childress, Coastal Alabama's softball coach out of Monroeville joining us next on the final drive hey this is Ladarius Owens former Auburn football player and current CFL player you're listening to WNSP 
back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5 and want to welcome our next guest, the head softball coach, Coastal Alabama Monroeville, entering her fifth season. Krista Childress joins us on the final drive. Coach, good evening. How's everything going for you? It's going great. How are you doing, sir? Absolutely too blessed to be stressed, and I appreciate your time this afternoon and want to talk to you about the excitement of Coastal Alabama Monroeville softball, softball. And you're entering your fifth season, and yesterday we were talking about Hugh Freeze, the head coach at Auburn, being a former high school teacher in the classroom, teaching a little geography. Well, not only are you a, an outstanding softball coach at Monroeville, you also do an outstanding job teaching business courses too. And I know sometimes when you apply your craft and your teaching profession to your coaching profession, sometimes those analytics go hand in hand. I think so. I think I use a lot of my um, same uh, strategies in the classroom and on the field um, to help motivate my team and my students to excel at whatever they're doing. You are entering your fifth season as the head softball coach, Coastal Alabama Monroeville. Let us know a little bit about your upcoming season as we get ready to prepare. I know you guys have a little preseason prior to actually when spring rolls around to kind of get a gauge on how you guys are going to do and kind of give you a little bit of a competition factor to, to let you know a little bit about your 2023-24 team. Yes, sir. We start. We play right now um, during the fall season, and um, I came into this fall season. We graduated 13 sophomores last year, so I was a little concerned this year coming into our fall season that we're going to have a lot of freshmen. Um, I have seven sophomores this year, but a lot of them didn't give a lot of playing time last year. Um, so I was a little concerned, but our fall season has been exceptional. I couldn't ask for more. Um, out of my young ladies, they work hard. They're gelling together. Um, we're a little over 500 this fall. We uh, played last Thursday night and got 16 hits in a 10-inning game. Uh, we just played 10 innings. We did, it wasn't um, it wasn't a, our normal seven innings because it's fall. You can play as many innings as you want. So we just played 10 innings. Uh, we banged out 16 hits. We had eight stolen bases. I mean, I have a lot of kids that are from right here local um, within 20 minutes of the school, and they are eager to get out there and play and um, learn, and it's just been a very eye-opening experience for me. I, I really like this team and, and all the work and dedication that they're putting into um, becoming better softball players and better students. The growth of travel softball, year-round softball pretty much now, and you see a lot of young ladies going and learning fast pitch younger and younger. And when you look at these parks and recreations matriculating over to the high schools, it just allows you to have a bigger feeder pool to pull from when you are recruiting as the head coach at Coastal Alabama Community College in Monroeville. Talk about the growth of girls softball. Oh, it's it is unbelievable. Um, I go to these softball tournaments, and I, you know, other people have gone with me. Some baseball coaches, the baseball coach um, here, and he said, "I didn't know softball was so big." 
He said, there's there's cars everywhere. He said, yeah, it's, you know, that you go and there's 10 fields and there's kids playing everywhere. And um, our girls are getting involved right now. They're down um, at Excel, a local place here, and they're umpiring and they're talking to the kids. And I think that helps when we they these kids have older people to look up to um, and and see what they're doing and that they're getting their education paid for to go to and getting to play the game that they love. And it's just phenomenal at how much softball has grown in the last, I've been coaching for a long time. So um, we'll say the last 20, I've been in the junior college for 25 years. So for the last 25 years, how much it's just really grown and um, everyone, you know, plays softball. All girls just about have something to do with it now. Coach, how can people reach out to you to gain more information about Coastal Alabama Community College Monroeville and learn more about your softball program and possibly find a way to get a scholarship and, and come play for Coastal Alabama Monroeville? Well, we have Coastal Alabama. Um, it's Coastal Alabama Community College on the website, and there's questionnaires there um, and on our website and they have our schedule for the upcoming spring, um, the rest of our schedule for the fall. My phone number's on there. I encourage you to get out and um, even if it's not at this junior college, to get out to a junior college and watch. Um, Alabama softball is phenomenal and the junior college level is excellent and just get out and see it and reach out to a coach in your town or local and go to their camps, showcases, whatever they're having. Krista Childress joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Head softball coach, Coastal Alabama Monroe. Well, can't thank you enough, coach, and good luck for the rest of your fall and in the spring as well. Look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, sir. It was great talking to you. Absolutely. Krista Childress, again, teaches business courses on top of women's softball at Coastal Alabama Community College, Monroeville. And, Nick, I know we'll go to a break here and Man, wrap I, up. I, I'm still cracking up over uh – over uh, Jim calling incognito, man. I, I absolutely love I was, it. I was looking at you as I was talking. I'm like, does this guy not sound so familiar? <laughs> I was like, I know this isn't like Desmond Ritter's dad. He sounds young. <laughs> Immediately when someone was saying something positive, I was like, you know, the, the, the alarm went off in my head. Like, who is this? And then when he said Lions fan, I was like, oh, okay. I know who I'm talking about. This guy, maybe he does know a little something. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he understands your pain and frustration in regards to wanting to win right. and thinking that you're going to win and you don't. But, again, the Detroit Lions and the Atlanta Falcons. Look, at, look, they, look we're, they we're two sides of the same coin this year. Yeah. I mean, like, high hopes, young talent. Hopefully we can get there. Detroit, they're definitely there right Absolutely. Now. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Hello, Mobile. This is Damian Craig, and I'm listening to Sports Station WNSP. WNSP 105.5 and want to thank Jim Nagy for calling in and dropping that 411 knowledge 
I know. On. I was about to say, what the hell do you know? I've <laughs> been like, um, I'm actually the guy that invited Desmond. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, it, like you said, it just takes a little patience, just a little patience. And, and all things considered, Nick, when you look at you guys being three and two, the Atlanta Falcons, that is, it could be a lot worse. And like you said, Ritter did have a, a, a nice breakout game to where you've kind of been wanting him to have sufficient passing yardage instead of having that 175, 180 and, and taking the loss to where you're not getting him into what we would call at least a tier three quarterback, right, in the yep. NFL. He's going he's gonna to come around. He just has to continue. You got one piece for sure, Bijan. Bijan. But like you London, have to. Pitts. You, you got to block for anybody saw, that you have. I saw a little stat that Atlanta now has the longest streak of allowing teams to score less than 24 points against them. You know, going all the way back to last year, longest streak since the 2013-14 San Francisco 49ers. So no, nah, they're they're not they're not Atlanta's not a bottom dweller for sure. Do I do I think they're probably going to lose some games that they. That they wish they would have had the back. Ne Absolutely. Next four games we play, we should go four and zero. And see that right there, in and of itself, if he's able to stay healthy, that's going to be the biggest thing too. Because then you'll really be clamoring for him if your backup comes in. Who's your backup? Best backup in the league, Taylor Heineke. Well, there you have <laughs> uh, Heineke. We'll see if he Heineke just needs to keep holding the clipboard for the Falcons to continue to fly and rise high. And you, you mentioned how long it had been. La tonight, Denver and the Chiefs play one another. You know the last time the Denver Broncos beat the Kansas City Chiefs? Mm. Um, I don't know. Probably you know a while ago. You know who was ago. quarterback for the Denver Broncos the last time they beat them? Don't say Peyton Manning. I'm going to tell you it was oh, Peyton wow. Manning. Okay. 2015. That's wow. how long it's been. Since the Broncos and have they play each other twice a Chiefs. year, so yes. that's really bad. Week two of the 2015 season. That's insane. Gary Kubiak being yeah, that that's right head coach, and I, I know that that's not exactly what you're looking for if you're the Broncos at one and four. Kelsey questionable for tonight. I think he will probably try to give it a go, yeah. and if you are. The Chiefs, you're hoping that you handle your business to where he doesn't have to play long at all. Chiefs are going to be fine. You know, they're going to put on a show for T-Swift in the crowd tonight. But what's going on with those Denver Broncos, man? I know, like, you know, down here, a lot of New Orleans fans, you know, Sean Payton, you got to feel some type of way about him. I mean, he got you guys a Super Bowl. Um, but, man, Denver, like, no picks. Your quarterback, Russ hasn't played horrible, but... No, he could play better. That defense is one of the worst defenses in the league. And I think that's what it has a lot to do with. And when you see a lot of bickering on the sideline, you've already seen Sean Payton write a check that he couldn't cash last week yeah. in regards to how he handled the New York Jets coaching situation. And that was a debacle for him. But the Broncos... They, they get off to a fast start, and then they kind of fizzle out in the third and fourth quarter. So look forward to seeing that Broncos-Chiefs matchup tonight on Prime Video. Of course, you do have the Atlanta Braves in an elimination game. And want to thank all our great guests on the final drive today before we go to our 5 o'clock Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Adrian Strickland, 
right tackle for the South Alabama Jaguars, joined us. Lindsey Crosby talked Major League Baseball. Krista Childress, Coastal Alabama Monroeville's head softball coach. And we'll have Drew DeArmon from ESPN, The Zone in Huntsville, joining us along with Ansley Lee from AL.com covering the Auburn Tigers. So another great hour coming up here on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Appreciate you guys for tuning in to the final drive. And the next voice you'll hear will be of Drew DeArmon joining us. This is the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app. Here are Corey and Nick. Welcome to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. And the first 30 minutes of the show, we're going to talk all about the Alabama Crimson Tide and their huge win this past Saturday against the Texas A&M Aggies, 26-20 winners in College Station. And we're joined by my man in Huntsville, Alabama, host of Talking Ball on Huntsville's 97.7 ESPN, The Zone, Drew DeArmond. Drew, how's it going, my brother? Good. Uh, it's always great to be on with you, Corey. Great to be back with you. And, uh, you know, it's been quite a roller coaster for Alabama football. Certainly things trending upward uh, after that great performance in College Station last weekend. Uh, going to be interesting to see how they react. Uh, I think you kind of got the message from Coach Saban yesterday uh, about uh, earning nothing. Uh, you know, I think he's trying to keep the guys focused and uh, not really, you know, worry about the last month for Arkansas where it's been a struggle for them, uh, but they've lost a lot of close games. They're still a very talented ball club. And with this particular Alabama team, the way it's rounding into shape, certainly offensively, and they've made strides, especially Jalen Milrow, but they're still, I don't know if they're, it, you, can't, you can't take your eyes off the prize. I think with this group, they've got to stay laser focused and, Certainly, there's bigger fish to fry if they can get by Arkansas on Saturday. It is what you kind of call one of those trap games, so to speak, for the Crimson Tide because Sam Pittman really fighting for, to me, I would say his job because you look at the disappointments, even though they've been close losses, at the end of the day, you don't want to sit there and be looking at four or five consecutive losses and the ability and the tremendous athleticism that K.J. Jefferson presents and the troubles that he can bring, we'll hope the Alabama defense continues to, to get home and pressure the quarterback and make him as uncomfortable as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's surprising with Coach Pittman's group this year. Corey, you know the history. I mean, you were there, and you were there uh, in Nashville with us just a few months ago, which seems like two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean – Coach Pittman is one of the best offensive line coaches, you know, in college football, maybe in the history of the game. That's actually been their weakest link. Uh, is, and they had experience coming back. But I think they've also had a change in offensive scheme with Dan Enos. And, he, and a lot of what he's doing is what he did seven, eight years ago with, with Brett Bielema that maybe doesn't fit what he has now. And 
what you know Kendall Bryles did a great job with that offense last year and it's been struggling a little bit uh you know KJ has a lot of experience though he's a dual threat quarterback so uh, and, and Rocket Sanders, he hadn't got on track yet, but he could, you know, on Saturday. So Alabama has to continue to stack and build. Uh, I do think Alabama's defense is rounding into one of the best, if not the best unit in the SEC. Uh, you know, certainly I'd say Alabama and Georgia. But uh, you have to keep going out and, and playing that way and playing hard. Uh, and, and quite frankly, don't let Arkansas up off the mat. Smash them. I mean, that's what you got to do. You got to take them out early, get a lead, uh, make them create self-doubt. Uh, you know, I, I talked to Otis Kirk today on my show from hogville.net. He's covered the team for, you know, 30 years. And, you know, he's he told me that, you know, it's just been a struggle this year for Arkansas. He doesn't think Coach Pittman will be in trouble for his job by the end of the year because he's not anticipating a 3-9, and nine, even a 4-8. and eight. Uh, you know, I, I guess that's possible, but I don't think it's likely. Um, you know, but I, I do think this. If they don't go to a bowl game, if they fall short, and remember, I, I said this in, in Nashville, that I thought, you know, uh, that every team in the West could go to a bowl game. But that may not happen. You know, you're looking at Mississippi State and Arkansas, and I picked Arkansas last in the West. Maybe it looks like I could have ended up being right. I knew they had a lot of experience coming back. But the way their schedule set was set up, and with the coaching changes, the coordinators and the strength staff thought there could be some hiccups, and so far there has been. And it's almost like the Hogs haven't recovered from that blown lead against uh, BYU. They continue to play hard though, because they certainly haven't laid down uh, now, and they haven't had any success against Nick Saban yet. Saban has run off 16 in a row against the Hogs since their last win in 06 in overtime. Uh, in Fayetteville, so it's going to be really interesting to see how this uh, game goes and if Alabama can stay focused because I, Alabama, I think, is the much better team defensively, even though Arkansas is playing pretty good D under Travis Williams, but I still think they have the edge defensively. They have the edge in the kicking game, and right now, with the way the offense has improved dramatically in two weeks, uh, they, have the, they have the definite advantage uh, you know, offensively, so I think Alabama is the better team all the way around. This is what I call a mindset game, and you kind of reference it being called a trap game. You, your leaders have to step up in, in games like this. They may be without a Malachi Moore, T.J. Ferguson, guys like that who are hurt, so even a Darian Dalcourt. So we'll see, but certainly this is a mindset game for Alabama, and they need to come out and take care of Arkansas because everybody knows what that Tennessee game would mean to Alabama next week in Bryant-Denny Stadium. You mentioned the struggles of Sam Pittman and his offensive line. So far, K.J. Jefferson sacked 23 times so far this season. And you go back and you look at Alabama these last four games since Texas, five sacks versus South Florida, five sacks against Ole Miss, four sacks against Mississippi State, five sacks against A&M. So the pressure in getting home has definitely increased because since they played Ewers, Ewers' uniform was whiter than you look at tablecloths being when you serve them at a five-star restaurant. Alabama's been doing a tremendous job changing that, and Kevin Steele has made the adjustments. And Deontay Lawson returning to the game, even though there's a difference between being injured and hurt, I think does something for this defense from a leadership standpoint too. 
Yeah, it does. I mean, Deontay is kind of the straw that stirs the drink. He's a great leader. He was the one that, uh, you know, got in Dallas Turner's face after the blindside block wiped off the touchdown with the blocked field goal. He's been trying to lead this group all year. Having him back in the middle helps a lot. Uh, and, you know, and Alabama, besides the injury defensively to Malachi, I think they came out pretty healthy, uh, you know, from the game. And it's a very physical game against A&M. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I know that uh, the, also uh, when you look at what that injury means, it probably means Terry and Arnold could start at star. You could see Trey Amos get a start, uh, no doubt about it, uh, you know, uh, against Arkansas on Saturday. But, I mean, the defense, I give all the credit to Kevin Steele. And it's kind of like I've said, I've made this analogy. Everybody knows Steve Sarkeesian's the head coach at Texas. I think Kyle Flood has the OC title. But everybody knows that Sark is the OC and he calls the plays, okay? Some head coaches do that. Alabama has a little bit of a different defensive setup this year. I believe Traverius Robinson is calling the defenses. Uh, Nick Saban set this defense up, though. When he hired Kevin Steele late in the process, he made him an overseer. They brought in Robert Bala to coach the inside linebackers. And I think what Coach Steele has done, he's done a lot of work with the front seven and especially the uh, defensive line. If you remember in his press conference in media day, uh, Corey, he said, we have the talent. We just have to work the process. And by work the process, I think Coach Steele has been heavy-handed with the DL and the outside linebackers in front seven. Uh, and, of course, making sure all three levels are on the same page. This Alabama defense is playing with a lot more intensity and uh, sustained effort than I've seen in the last few years. Uh, they are hitting on all three levels. That defensive line was nasty against Texas A&M. They, quite frankly, just beat the hell out of the Aggies in the second half. Uh, and Arkansas struggling a lot on the defensive – I mean, excuse me, the offensive line. This should be a matchup where Alabama can continue to make hay, but you have to go out and do it. And, pray, and play, excuse me, with the uh, prerequisite intensity that's necessary to win an SEC game. And this is a team that's young in some spots, but still got some older guys. They still need to see Jalen Milrow continue to evolve. I think the key is going to be over this second half of the season now, this last uh, stretch of it, before, uh, you know, before, right before the bye and then after, uh, I think they need to continue to expand the running game in the toolbox you know, hopefully Jam Miller and Justice Haynes will start getting some touches. And I think Milrow has to continue to uh, to become a willing runner. He took a lot of sacks in the last game yet again. He needs to stop taking those unnecessary hits, either throw the ball away or use your legs to make a play and live to fight another down. And so you know, I'm going to be interested to see him continue to get better. He's got to be more confident now with the way he threw the ball in the last game with the short and intermediate passing game. And I give Tommy Reeves a lot of credit because I know he's received some criticism. But he put the game on, on Jalen Milrow and the receivers in the second half when they knew they couldn't run the football very well against A&M. Now they're going to need to run the football better as the season goes on to win a championship. But they knew what they had to do against A&M. They had to shoot fish in a barrel. They had to get the ball uh, to the playmakers outside and spread it out. And I think they did that. And I think, uh, you know, uh, Jalen Milrow took some steps forward as the really the most dynamic weapon of this offense as it continues to take shape with the way this 2023 season is unfolding for Alabama. Drew, do you think that Alabama beat their toughest opponent remaining on their schedule last week? And if not, who do you think it is? Well, I, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think you know, two, 
two of their next three games are really tough. I mean, I, I, I am going to be fascinated to see if A&M can get up off the, you know, the, the scrap heap and how they play and how hard they play at, at Tennessee. Tennessee's coming off their bye. We don't yet know really how good the balls are because they did lay a turd in Gainesville, and they have not been a very good road team. Uh, Josh Heupel has never lost a home game, though, so I do favor Tennessee in a close one against A&M. The Tennessee game will be emotional after what happened last year, no question, when that 15-game winning streak was snapped. So that's a tough opponent for Alabama. I would still say the toughest, even though their defense is horrendous, is LSU because LSU has even better weapons offensively than uh, Texas A&M. I think they have a better offensive line. They've got a better quarterback in in Jaden, uh, or excuse me, uh, Jaden Daniels. I think Daniels should be SEC Player of the Year right now. Though I think the best Heisman candidate and the best player is Brock Bowers. But y'all both know a tight end ain't winning it. So, right. but Jaden Daniels has really made a lot of strides as a quarterback. His ball placement this year is unreal. His mobility is outstanding. And then when you take into account, he's got three really good receivers. You know, he's got Malik Neighbors. He's got Brian Thomas Jr. He's got Kyron Lacey. Uh, he's got Mason Taylor at tight end. And then Logan Diggs now being eligible at running back. I mean, they're they're pretty stout offensively, man. They can score 40 points. And Alabama's got a, a really, really good defense that could be elite. But that, that LSU can still score. So I think if you had to ask me, I think LSU is the toughest remaining opponent. And then you guys grew up in the state of Alabama. You know how it is. The Auburn game won't be easy either. I mean, if you've watched the way Hughes coached that team, they put together a really good game plan, almost beat Georgia. And I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens, uh, you know, with this LSU-Auburn game. Can Auburn score enough points to hang with LSU? Can Auburn's defense stop LSU? Because this has been a strange series. I still think LSU should win this game, but I want to see how Hugh Freeze and his offense kind of evolved in in this contest. And I thought he put together a really solid plan against UGA. So I think Alabama's got, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I think they should win and cover against Arkansas, honestly. I think I picked the game 37-10. to 10. But after that, I really think uh, they've got three tough games remaining. You've got LSU at home. You've got certainly uh, you've got Auburn on the road. And then you've got Tennessee at home. So Alabama's still got some tests left, and they need uh, Milrow to continue to mature. But I, I think overall, A&M was one of the toughest tests, but I still think they've got three left that are stout. Drew, I think Milrow's good for at least maybe one interception a game uh, just because of his continued growth, only having maybe six or seven career starts under his belt. But when you do look at – the, the playmakers and the explosiveness finally that Jermaine Burton and the breakout game that he had. Everybody was talking about Miro and his intermediate and deep ball that had to be there because of how many people they had in the box and taking away that running game. But Burton stepped up. Bond stepped up. We know Nye Black is a dynamic wide receiver, but there's some more guys that really have the ability. Kobe Prentice and Malik Benson still waiting for them to have that breakout game also. And I think the more confidence that you give Milro, the more checkdowns and the more opportunities he'll give to distribute to make that wide receiver room some three or four pros, future pros coming out of the wide receiver room again. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, Burton had a huge game. I mean, and I thought except for the Mississippi State game, and, you know, there was thought, you know, 
Coach Saban said he had a little bit of a foot deal, and they decided to hold him out. Uh, you know, and 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 he didn't play much against the the Bulldogs in Stark Vegas, but he I thought he'd been good and and solid in the other games and made big plays, but he took it to another level in the last game. Uh, you know, I I thought at times he's even too emotional, but if that's what cranks his tractor, go ahead. Uh, he's always he's been considered a five star talent coming out of high school. He played like it on Saturday. They need that kind of production from him going forward. Uh, Bond provides you with that big play speed. You saw that. Got Alabama on the board with their first touchdown from 52 yards out in the last game. So he's averaging 14.5 yards per catch. Burton averaging 22.7, nearly 23 yards per catch. Nye Black has been a 19-yard uh, catch tight end. Now, he hasn't caught a ton of balls, but he's been another big play threat. Uh, C.J. Dupree as well. Uh, but you're right. I mean, they need to get some other guys. I hope they continue uh, to get Prentice and Benson going. I like Jalen Hale. I think he's going to be a really good player. You know, Ja'Cory got a little bit dicked up and hurt in the last game. He's only got two catches on the year. Everybody knows he's super solid. Hopefully he's about to have a breakout game and get healthy soon because they need him and what he brings to the table just intangibly. Uh, but there's no doubt that they have some talent in this receiver room. I think it's been a very under-the-radar, very solid group. I know, Corey, coming out of training camp and even spring practice, there was some thought and some worry about drop passes. But I think they've done a nice job. They they had a couple drops in the last game. Nye Black had one and Burton had one. But they made many more plays than they left on the field. And they need to continue to build on that and continue to provide the big plays because uh, Burton – uh, is it, it showed his potential in the last game. And then Milrow overall, showing the ability to take the game on his shoulders and, and throw the ball accurately, short and intermediate, huge for his confidence. And he did what he's done all year, too. He's been a really good deep ball thrower. And so he needs to improve on third down. And he did get one big stat off of the, off of the, uh, the board in the last game. He did not have a red zone touchdown pass going into the A&M game, but he had two against the Aggies that were huge in the outcome, both to Burton. So I think uh, that's big for his confidence. He needs to continue to build on that at home against Arkansas on Saturday. Drew, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day and evening to join us here on the final drive and talk about your knowledge of the Crimson Tide and their upcoming opponents. And hopefully here within the next three or four weeks, I'll be calling you back and Alabama will continue to control its own destiny in the last season of division football in the SEC and heading for that spectacular showdown with Georgia that a lot of people predicted at the beginning of SEC media days, like you said, back in Nashville, that does seem like just a couple of weeks ago. But how can everyone follow all of your great Crimson Tide coverage and check in with you on a daily basis to 97.7 ESPN The Zone? Yeah, Corey, uh, Nick, they can check out. They can check me out at Drew D 977 ESPN on my Twitter account. Our station is 977 ESPN, and Scott Tyson and I do Talking Ball. 7 to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday. We also have now the uh, Morning Blitz, and I contribute uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday to that show as well. They can check that out. 
Uh, you can check out all of our content on our 977 uh, The Zone SoundCloud page and at 977ESPN.com uh, as well. Our, our, web, our website is updated daily. Uh, we always enjoy being on with you guys at WNSP in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, we appreciate you for letting us talk ball and look forward to catching up, like you said, Corey, uh, when we're down the stretch and we're, and we're finishing the regular season and perhaps getting ready for an SEC championship game. But a lot of ball still to be played, and we're certainly looking forward to the game in Tuscaloosa on Saturday. Looking forward to it, Drew. Have a great homecoming 2023. Enjoy yourself. Be safe, and we'll definitely be catching up with you real soon. Thank you, Gore. Appreciate it. Very welcome. Drew DeArmond joining us this evening here on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Got our Tide side. Now we'll go and get our Tiger side right. from Ansley Lee from AL.com. This is her first year covering the Auburn Tigers, and she's already experienced and seen so much but has great insight on a daily basis for the Auburn Tiger program. We'll be right back here on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Julian Zeus McClurkin with the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and my favorite station is WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Nick. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. And look, we just got the Tide bit of it. We're about to get to the Tiger part of it. But I got to remind you that... If you don't have a place to watch the Alabama-Arkansas game this Saturday at 11, go ahead and come out to the Outsider downtown Mobile off Cedar Street. Look, they got the Insider next door, so you can get whatever food you want. They got tons of options in there. You can walk out of there with a WNSP t-shirt. They're going to be giving away an Alabama jersey courtesy of the vault. You can even enter into their drawing to potentially win tickets to the Iron Bowl. That's all at the Outsider, downtown Mobile, Alabama versus Arkansas. And that game starts at 11. I know for a fact that my man Corey LeBounty is going to be there. Absolutely. We'll definitely be there. Looking forward to getting to know and see you guys and giving you that Future Ones WNSP t-shirt. That's right. It's a well. dry fit material, too. So perfect for cutting grass. But, you know, the weather with it getting cold like it is, you might not be cutting grass as often as we have been. That's thankfully. a fact. That's so. a fact. I, I tell you, the Tigers are going to be looking, the Auburn Tigers, that is, they're going to be looking to cut the grass in Death Valley come Saturday and put a W on the board on their way to doing so. We'll talk to Ainsley Lee from AL.com. She covers the Auburn Tigers up next here on WNSP 105.5. <laughs> Hey, this is Buckets Blakes from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Nick. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. 
Corey Labonte, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Thursday evening edition of our Gulf Coast Auto Tech. And we always love to get Ainsley Lee from AL.com on with us to talk about her coverage, her daily great coverage of the Auburn Tigers program. And you look back one week ago, Hugh Freeze came down on a Monday to Mobile, Alabama to talk about his offensive play calling, his quarterbacks, what he was going to do, his recruiting, and what they do in a bye week. And we did see the bye week pass by, and Hugh Freeze spent that time, along with his assistant coaches, contacting every single player's parents who were on the roster. So it just goes to show the type of culture and relationships that are being built on the plains at Auburn. And Ainsley, welcome to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. We appreciate you jumping on with us this evening. Yes, sir, Corey. Thank you guys for having me. How are you guys doing? Absolutely too blessed to be stressed. And, you know, when you look at Auburn's matchup here, Tigers versus Tigers, except it's the Auburn Tigers versus the LSU Tigers. In the conference, LSU's 3-1, and one, Auburn's 0-2. But overall, LSU four and two and Auburn's three and two. What do you think it would mean to this program here to get their first SEC win down in Death Valley this weekend? Oh, I think it'd be huge. I mean, I think you look at some of these. Uh, you, you really you just kind of look at the history of this matchup, and you know these two teams have been in some really funky battles, and um, I think if my memory serves me correct, I was looking at it yesterday. I think you know. Six of the last seven of these have been won by like five or six points or less. I mean, all one possession ball games. And um, so, I mean, these are two teams that just, you know, every time they go at it, they seem to go tooth and nail and toe to toe. Um, and this is a this is a rivalry of sorts that both these programs really like. And I think, especially you take into consideration the fact that um, this is one of those games or one of these matchups that unfortunately, um, probably won't survive the new SEC um, scheduling. I know they're not playing next year. And, you know, so I think we just kind of look at the big picture of everything, um, and then you add on the fact that Auburn is still looking for its first conference win, and you add on, right, the fact that this is a, a game at Death Valley on a Saturday night. Um, a win there would be just absolutely huge, huge. Um, for. I mean, it would obviously be – freezes first statement in here right absolutely it would be and, and i'll be honest with you i really thought i predicted auburn to defeat texas a&m a couple of weeks ago and and the reason being i knew that auburn's defense had really stepped up to the plate and played tremendous and you look at halftime of that score i think it was six to three and Auburn just couldn't muster up enough offense to get it done. And then you look at one week later, Auburn comes and has an offensive blitz and jumps the number one team in the country 10-0 to in an electric Jordan-Hare Stadium at home and then kind of rely on the defense once again to, to try to hold on to it. But I know I think the biggest concern still this week is going to be can Peyton Thorne do what Jalen Milrow did because – Teams are saying that Auburn can't pass it efficiently, effectively, and the quarterbacks can't make the reads that they need to to distribute the football to these wide receivers. Right, yeah, and I, mean, I think uh, if there's ever a game that it needs to happen, it's this one, right? I mean, you look at LSU's defense, and, um, you know, they're not particularly great at all, um, especially in the back end and the secondary there. I mean, 
every team they've played, you know, has been able to just pick them apart um, through the air. And so, I mean, if you look at that, it's kind of the Achilles heel of this uh, LSU defense. You've got to capitalize on it. Um, and I think, you know, granted the, the type of criticism now, right, you look at, um, you know, after the A&M game, everybody was really harping on Peyton Thorne and probably rightfully, rightfully so. Um, then you come in and you play Georgia, and everybody, including Hugh Freeze, you know, has pointed to the fact that six of Peyton Thorne's nine incompletions hit the receivers in the hands. And so the next thing you know, the next week, you know, the, the wide receivers are just kind of the whipping post of criticism, right? And those two aspects, you know, of the, the passing game, then you add in, obviously, the play column. We've kind of seen that go up and down and, the, you know, the battle and the, the tug of war that uh, Hugh Freeze has had with offensive coordinator Philip Montgomery. And we just haven't seen all three facets come together yet. Um, and I think if there's ever a time, if there's ever a game um, for that to happen, uh, believe it or not, you know, contrary to popular belief, it might have to be on Saturday night in Death Valley. Because, um, you know, just with looking at what so many of other teams have done against this LSU defense, um, if you can't get the passing game going against those guys, I don't know who you're going to get it going against. Absolutely, Auburn catching LSU at a very vulnerable time, as you just mentioned, with the struggles the last couple of weeks of this LSU defense that have been evident of them giving up 40 and 50 points. So I know that depth for Auburn defensively and, and that Georgia game kind of took its toll, and you were hoping that some of these injuries wouldn't affect that depth and the week's time off would give them kind of a chance to heal. But I I know that Kite is out with, I think, a torn shoulder for the rest of the year. And you, you look at a couple of other Auburn guys defensively that, that aren't really on the mend the way that Coach Freeze would like. Sure, yeah. I mean, obviously the injury aspect has been pretty pretty tough, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Like you said, you know, they, they lose Nafili Kite. It was, it was a torn bicep that he suffered at, at Georgia. Um, yeah, so he's done for the year. And – you know, behind him is a true freshman, former five-star kid, so he's certainly got the talent. And Keldrick Falk, um, you know, we talked to his teammates on, uh, what was it? it, was Tuesday this week, it was Tuesday. Um, and, I mean, they're really, really juiced up for, you know, for him to have that opportunity and obviously a really big stage on Saturday night. He's had some meaningful snaps. He's had some really good showings. Um, but, I mean, he gets to start on Saturday. And, uh, again, you know, considering what we know about Jaden Daniels, and the electricity that runs through this LSU offense. Um, you don't want to have to send an extra hat into the box if you don't have to. And so those, front, those guys on the defensive front, uh, they've got to get the job done. And, and they've got to contain Jaden Daniels, right? And so um, Keldrick Falk's going to be huge in that. And, again, I mean, just, just a freshman, so it's going to be kind of interesting to see how he responds to the, the environment on Saturday night. And then, yeah, fortunately, it sounds like Jalen Simpson, um, the safety, is going to be back uh, you know, I did a story on him today. This is a game where I think for him personally, that leg of his, you know, achy or not, would have to be, like, completely severed from his body for him to miss this game. Um, you know, he's a veteran kid. He's been here since 2019, and right now he's 2-2 two and two against LSU, and he really, really wants that win on Saturday night. So, um, you know, bearing no further setbacks this week, um, I think everybody's expecting him to be active. And then, of course, you've got the long-term injuries that, um, you know, have really affected that defense. For a little while you know you lose Austin Keys early to some surgery um, he's still not back and I think uh, that happened in the first game of the season 
Then you lose the nickelback, Keontae Scott, against Sanford. He ends up having to have that tightrope surgery on a, on a high-angle sprain. Um, Free says that he's kind of ahead of schedule, but uh, still not still not quite ready to go. So, I mean, yeah, this is certainly a defense that's kind of been put through the, the ringer injury-wise. Um, so, especially going against an offense like LSU's got, uh, you know, you might expect them to kind of try to pick on that some. I know Auburn, again, coming off their bye week, it's always great. You're not just trying to prepare for one team, though. You're you're looking at Auburn's schedule to where they do face a couple of Mississippi teams here coming up, so you're kind of kind of game planning for all of it. But if Hugh Freeze, you, you never want to pull the reins out from under who you designate as your offensive coordinator, but it's it's just like Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, Drew DeArmond, who I was talking to earlier for our Alabama segment, says everybody knows that Sark, he calls the ultimate plays, even though he has an offensive coordinator. I know that Hugh Freeze doesn't want to go that route, but throughout the game, if the rhythm and the timing is just not what he wants to, I, I know that he'll probably be a little bit more assertive the same way he was against the Georgia Bulldogs. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, we go all the way back to the Cal game, right? Um, you know, Auburn's losing that game late. That uh, touchdown throw to Rivaldo Fairweather, you know, late in the game that ended up kind of being the walk-off touchdown, if you will, um, was a situation in which Hugh Free stepped in and said, no, we're calling this. And obviously it ended up working. I mean, uh, you know, would he have told us that if it didn't end up working? Who knows? But, uh, you know, I think, you know, Hugh Freeze, again, I mean, it is, it, it's Philip Montgomery's show. I mean, he's got the play, you know, the, the play sheets in his hands. Um, he was hired to call plays. As of right now, it sounds like he's going to continue to do that. Um, but without a doubt, you know, just given the struggles um, that this offense has seen and, um, you know, Hugh, Hugh Freeze was not happy when kind of the RPO offense was kind of completely abandoned against Texas A&M. He didn't like that. Um, and so that, I feel like, was kind of the, the tipping point of Freeze saying, all right, maybe I've got to stick my nose a little deeper in here uh, throughout the week to make sure these guys are ready to go on Saturday. Uh, we certainly saw that at, at Georgia, and I think people might agree that that was kind of the best offensive showing, certainly against an, you know, a Power 5 or conference opponent um, Auburn had had. And, um so, yeah, I mean, I think if things kind of start going south or just aren't really trending in a positive direction, yeah, you've got to assume that, that uh, Coach Freeze is right there, um, you know, inserting himself maybe deeper than what he wishes. Ainsley Lee, AL.com, covers the Auburn Tigers daily for AL.com, does a great job of getting the inside scoop on all of Auburn athletics. And mentioning in that bye week at the beginning of our interview, I know you, you're – a Florida Gators gal by, by trade. And when you look back at all the coaches that you've seen that have done the sidelines there, do you think or did you ever see Randy Shannon or Dan Mullen or Will Muschamp or Urban Meyer, you think they were calling them and their assistant coaches every single parent of the on that were on the roster during the bye week to, to kind of get a status update on how their parents were feeling and how – how their child was doing it at the university? Yeah, no, I can't say that that's something I've ever heard of, um, or at least, you know, nothing that's ever been publicly discussed uh, to, you know, that I can think of right off the top of my head. Um, you know, it was kind of surprising when Coach Free said it. Now, you know, he didn't want to clear it up. He's like, hey, it's not me personally, mm -hmm. right, calling every single parent, but, you know, my assistant coaches and the position coaches would go out and, you know, call their respective kids. And if there are, you know, concerns that, um, 
I feel like I need to address as a head coach, you know, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, I, I mean, I think it is. I think it's great. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I came from the prep speed in Florida as well. I spent a lot of time doing that. And, um, you know, it was always super fun to watch these kids go on and play at the next level. And, you know, with that, um, you know, the relationship I had with their parents, you could always tell the mom and daddies were super apprehensive, right? I mean, oh, I've got to go ship my kid off, you know, a couple states away. You know, who's going to be mom and who's going to be dad to them? And, you know, I think that does kind of somewhat fall in the lap of a coach. Um, you know, you've got a coach saying, no, please, like, trust me with your kid. Let's let's bring him here. Um, so I think it, it's, you know, it, I think it's a, it's a great idea. And um, from what I've seen, on Twitter um, and things like that, a lot of the parents really appreciated it. Um, they really liked it. Uh, it's something that they certainly didn't expect. And, um, yeah, I think the, the feedback was great. You know, Free said you, any negative feedback was, um, it, you know, had to do with playtime, right? So that doesn't change from the Pop Warner level all the way up to the college level. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think – I think it's special. I think it's a great thing that he and the coaching staff are doing to kind of keep those relationships intact. So I like the idea, and uh, it sounded like a lot of the parents did too. Well, I know that a lot of Auburn fans would like the idea of being able to convert on third down versus the LSU Tigers. That's what we call money down for sure. And last week or week before against Georgia, only two out of 12 were the Auburn Tigers, so I know that's something they want to clean up so they can stay on the field and, and keep LSU and their explosive offense off the field. And final predictions there for a score, Auburn, LSU, Tigers versus Tigers. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I did something along the lines of, uh, you know, 28-24 or, you know, 31, 31-24, uh, 31-28, you know, something there um, in favor of LSU. Um, you know, this will be my first time at Death Valley, but I've heard this is a really tough place to play, obviously, and a really tough place to win it at, at night, nonetheless. Um, so, but we'll see. I mean, I think uh, uh, Takiyo Spikes is predicting an upset. You know, again, you, you mentioned it. I'm coming from Florida. Florida and LSU cannot seem to have a normal game whatsoever. <laughs> and it seems like Auburn and LSU kind of, you know, are in that same boat. And um, so fortunately for me, you know, growing up around Florida and LSU, um, I'm used to kind of just those funky ball games, and I'm expecting one of those. Uh, so how it'll shake out at the end, um, who's to say? But I just, you know, I'm, I'm one of those when you're dealing with an environment like that, um, I might be the sucker that kind of uh, lets that tilt my scales a little bit. Absolutely love it. And how can people follow? your day-to-day -day coverage of not only Auburn football, but we're right around the corner peeking at basketball and all the other great athletic events that you cover for AL.com and the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, sure. Um, we just finished up with um, basketball pro day today, so we're going to have some basketball content out from Coach Pearl and uh, his staff there coming this evening. Um, but you can find all of that, myself and my beat partner, Matt Cohen, on AL.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at Ainsley Lee underscore on uh, on twitter or i guess x whatever it is now um but yeah you can you can find us both uh pretty active there and um like i said we, we put out lots of stuff all week long ainsley thank you so much for your time this evening joining us here on the gulf coast auto tech tide and tiger report and look forward to talking to you again very soon yes sir appreciate it as always Ainsley Lee, AL.com. Check out her stuff on AL.com because she does a great job of not only Auburn football, 
but all Auburn athletics. That's why we love to have her on this Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Pigskin Pete has entered the building. That means the prep spotlight is immediately following our show here, so you don't want to miss that. The final drive, WNSP 105.5's Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. We'll be right back. This is Mayor Sandy Stimson. You're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP. 